We're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to be in Job chapter 38 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there, go ahead and do that. Uh, One quick announcement. We have an all-member meeting coming up at the end of this month. It's on the 29th um, at 6.30. Um, This is for all who are members of the church and any who are thinking about becoming members of the church. It's not an exclusive meeting, um, but we want to give you the opportunity to come be a part of this. Now, we typically... At the first of the year, um, in the, our first all-member meeting of the year, we go over like the budget for the year, and we're going to do that. Um, but there are a lot of other big things that we need to talk through, including the new building and the timeline and all those sorts of things. So um, come be a part of that. It's typically an hour and a half, so we go from 6.30 to 8. Um, and mark that on your calendar to be here on the 29th of this month at 6.30 for the all-member meeting. All right, so we're going to be in Job 38. Let's pray together, and we'll dig in. Um, Father, we thank you for ordaining this time today for us to gather in worship. And part of gathering in worship means that we enjoy seeing one another and we enjoy the fellowship of hugging and shaking hands and and speaking to one another. God, part of our worship um, is the songs that we sing. We sing these beautiful songs about you and your goodness and your goodness in our lives. And part of our worship today is celebrating with the Hendersons through Kate's baptism, and now as we open your word together, we continue to worship. God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, and God, as we hear you, our hearts will be ready, God, to not only to submit to you, but to embrace you and to worship you as the God of heavens and the God of the earth. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. All right, so this is uh, week three in our worship uh, sermon series. We are going through the book of Job in a sermon series entitled Worthy of Worship. Uh, We admitted on the front end that for a lot of us, Job seems like kind of a strange place to go for a sermon series on worship. Most of us would think of Job as primarily a story about suffering. Now, that is a big part of the story of Job, but what we're learning is that that's just really just one piece of the bigger narrative. Really, the story of Job is this. Will Job cease to worship God when everything is stripped away? And really, the bigger question from that is, Is God worthy to be worshipped whether he does anything in my life or not? Is God in and of himself, according to his attributes and his characteristics and his qualities, is that enough to call us to worship or does he have to do stuff before we are prepared to worship him? And the story of Job answers that question, is God worthy to be worshipped whether he does anything or not. Last week we looked at God's infinite wisdom and how not only does God call us to worship, but that when our hearts are postured in worship, it's then and only then that we're really ready to receive God's truth and his infinite wisdom. And so we see wisdom is really a heart issue as much as it is a head issue. And so this week we're going to look at God's mighty power. Now, so far in the book of Job, first couple of chapters introduce us to Job. Then after that, the, the bulk of the middle of the book of Job, you got three friends trying to make sense of Job's suffering. And so they're offering up answers of why this is happening to Job, why God is allowing Job's suffering. And so after three rounds of debates, last week we saw how another character by the name of Elihu steps into the story. Now he's waiting patiently as these three other guys talk a lot. And what we learned is that Elihu's young, and he thought, well, these guys are older than me. They've got more wisdom than me, only to figure out that they really don't. And so Elihu begins to speak and kind of break up the debate and point us towards God. 
And so what we're going to do today and next week in chapters 38 through 42, this is where God gets to speak for himself. No longer are we thinking about God through the eyes of the three friends or through Job or through Elihu, but God himself is going to speak starting in chapter 38. We'll start in verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, I will question you and you make it known to me. Now, what I love about what we just read is how, first of all, how God appears. You see, in our culture and society, even in the churches of today, some, sometimes we tend to, uh, to shrink God down to, to, to an image that's a little bit more manageable, a little safer, more predictable. We like a God who we know what he's gonna do, right? We like a God who we can predict and who we can control, and so we make God in our image, we make God our buddy, right? Well, I love this because none of my buddies have ever showed up in a whirlwind, Right? Right? I mean, nobody in my life has ever shown up in a whirlwind to grab my attention. So God shows up in a whirlwind and speaks to Job. Who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And then he calls Job, dress for action. Essentially what he's calling Job to do is to bring all of his deeds, all of his good works to the table so that God can question him. So now what God is going to do, he's going to begin to ask some questions of Job. And in a sort of way, he's going to allow Job to compare himself to God. Starting in verse 4. Here's where God begins. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made, the cl- made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no further and here shall your proud waves be stayed. So God's opening response to Job is to reveal himself as the sovereign God over all creation. He really could have just stopped with that first question. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Oh, you weren't born yet, right? Right, that question alone creates a contrast between Job and who God is. Where were you, Job, when I did all of this? Now, what's interesting about Mankind, and this has always been since the beginning of creation, is that we love to explore the things God has created. It's, it's inerrant in who we are. We were created to explore and multiply and have dominion over the earth, right? And we love to do that. We explore the, the universe, and we want to know how big it is. And when we can't figure out how big it is, we send cameras out as far as we can send them to take pictures of things that we can't get to so we can begin to fathom how big the universe is is we love to explore it. We love to explore the earth itself, not just geographically, but the nuances of how things work, the weather, the science of it all, the physics of it all. 
how molecules come together and do things. We want to know how it all works, which is all fine and well, until we begin to take that knowledge and become proud, to begin to think things like, well, we don't really need God anymore. There's a... uh, there's a, there's kind of a, it's, it, there's a sermon illustration that's been around for years, and it's cheesy, but it's, it's really helpful in understanding what God is doing here with Job. And you may have heard this, but bear with me. So there was a scientist who uh, comes to God and has this conversation with God. You know what, God? I think we've got it from here. We don't need you anymore. Like we've, we've figured out how to explore the universe. We figured out how to split the atom, how to predict the weather, We figured out how to even clone cells and and to kind of manipulate the things that you have. We we don't really need God anymore. And so God puts this theory to a test and said, okay, well, let's have a little competition, if you will. Here's what we want to do. We're going to take dirt, and then we're going to make it come alive. Okay? And so God, in this illustration, this is all fiction, by the way, scoops down on the ground and gets some dirt in his hand. He, he takes the dirt and he places it under a cloud and lets it rain on the dirt until it becomes soft. He molds it into the shape of what looks like an eagle, a little clay eagle, and then he whew, breathes life into it and it flies away. And so the scientist sees this and is like, whoa, that was pretty cool. So he does some calculations and he grabs some 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 beakers and some scientific stuff, whatever scientists do, and he's doing his calculations. He's like, okay, okay, I think I got it figured out, God. I think I can do this. And so he kneels down to scoop some dirt to, so he can do this, and God says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Get your own dirt. Now, cheesy illustration, but point well made, right? Like the two great mysteries of science are this. How did nothing become something And then how did something become alive? And so we come up with these theories like Big Bang and, right, these cosmic theories that, right, don't necessarily explain how it happens. Something had to happen, right? So it was something that caused nothing to become something, and then something else happened that something might become alive. And God is saying to Job, where where were you when I did that? Where were you when I spoke into existence, when I took nothing and turned it into something, and then I took something and I gave it life. Oh, you weren't there, were you? You weren't there. And next what God is going to do is he's going to shift away from creation. In verses 12 through 17, he continues to ask, Job, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? And so God is talking now about the wickedness of man and he's talking about being able to take the earth by its corner and shake it until the wicked are knocked off. And he's talking about the depth, the deep depths of of death itself, Job. Have you been there to the gates of death? Have you seen it with your own eyes? And God is revealing his sovereignty over the wickedness of man 
and over death itself. Job, tell me, do, do you know where these things begin and where they end? Have you been there? Can you grab the corner of the earth like a garment and shake it until the wicked flee? Verse 18, have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. If that sounds sarcastic, it's supposed to. You know, right, Job? You were there. You remember, right? Oh, you don't remember. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on the land where no man is on the desert in which there is no man to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did ice come forth and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? And then verse 30, just the simple process of water becoming ice, the waters become hard like stone and the face of the deep is frozen and God is revealing his sovereign power over the weather and over the ecosystems of the earth. And through these questions, right, Job is being exposed to the mighty hand and power of God. If, if the, the, the God of Job's mind and heart was big before, he just became bigger. And what God does next, that's chapter 38 and chapter 39, God walks, over, walks through the beasts of the, of the earth in the same way. He asks Job, where were, where were you when I created all these animals, when I, was, when I put in place the reproductive cycle? Like, you want to talk about that and see if you can explain that to me? Right? Where, where were you to, to, to put the boundaries in place that the, the created world might work together in, in harmony as an ecosystem? Like, Job, where were you? Please answer me if you've got an answer. So God is revealing his, animal, his power over animals and creation. Now, chapter 40 is where we're going to slow down a little bit, okay? So God has been kind of drawing back the curtains on his power to Job. In chapter 40, starting in verse 6, God is going to get a little bit more personal. And in this next section, what God is going to do is he's going to, he's going to bring to mind the, his attributes, and he's going to ask Job to compare himself to God. Starting in verse 6, he repeats this question. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you Make it known to me. Now, so far, this has not gone very well for Job, has it? There are no answers to the questions that we've just read, not only because they're rhetorical, but because Job has no answer. Keep that in mind. 
God is asking questions, and the fact that Job is not offering up responses is not because they're purely rhetorical, but part, in part because Job has nothing to say. And so now God says, let's, let's continue on, Job. Dress like a man. Dress for action. I've got some more questions for you. Starting in verse 8, again, he begins to be a little bit more personal. Job, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be right? So this is not just a matter of God displaying his power to Job and showing Job how small he is. What God is exposing here is that when you bring judgments against God, you're claiming to be more right and more righteous than he is. It makes me think about those times where I complain or I get frustrated with God. Anybody else? It's just me. Right? Why is this happening to me? Why don't you just make this come to an end? Right? When I go to God with that frustration, in, in some ways my, my heart is postured in self-righteousness. Right? You owe me an answer. You need to explain this. If you want me to love you, you've got to explain what you're doing in my life. And God, with one question to Job, says, really, you're going to condemn me? You're going to condemn me. Are you assuming that I had to bless your life, Job? Are you assuming that you were owed all that stuff? Job, are you entitled to my blessings? Are you going to condemn me? Are you going to put me in the wrong? And God is revealing his righteousness by simply asking Job, which one of us is more righteous here? I was uh, thinking this week about the relationship between a parent and a child. And don't you love it when five-year-olds argue with you, parents? (laughs) Um, There's just something silly about it, isn't there? Now, when they become teenagers, you've really got to think to outwit them and to stay on top of your toes. But when they're five, it's not hard to win an argument, right? And, and so with my boys, I try to teach them, hey, listen, when you argue with an adult, the more you open the ma- your mouth, the more foolish you are. And you just keep talking and the more foolish you become. And my older son, he gets that. My younger son, it breaks his heart. You're calling me stupid. I'm like, well, just keep your mouth shut. That way we won't know. Literally in an argument this past week where he was, thought he was right, I, I just finally looked at him and I said, hey, bro, try this. Just put your hand on your mouth. Put that jaw shut, right? Because it's foolish when a five-year-old claims to be wise, right, and argues with an adult. Now, how much more foolish is it, adults, when we argue with God? So this is what God is doing for Job. He's revealing himself to Job. In the verse, next verse, verse 9, he says, Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with the voice like his? And essentially what God is asking, who's more powerful here, Job, you or me? So in the Bible, when you read about the hand of the Lord or the arm of the Lord, it's describing God doing something. It's when God moves on earth. It's the hand of the Lord, the arm of the Lord. So he's talking about what Job can do. He's saying, Job, or Who's, whose arm is more powerful, right? Flex for me. Let's see it, right? Because when I flex, right, the earthquakes, right, and, and the sky begins to thunder, 
But let's, let's go ahead, flex for me, Job. Which one of us has more, more power? And again, I think about my boys and I think about our wrestling matches. Um, my boys love to wrestle. Um, and, and, it's, and, it, and so wrestling really isn't wrestling. It's me just pretending to wrestle and then them going giving everything they got to dad. Now for now, because they're, they're 7 and 11, right? Give them a few more years and I'm gonna need some help. You can come over and we'll tag team. But for now, I've got them because at any moment, at any moment, and within like 10 seconds, I could have them both in the fetal position on the ground, crying for help, right? Begging for mom, not dad. But that, it's not the way it goes down when we wrestle. I let them almost win every time. I don't let them win. I let them almost win. And they think, oh, man, we, next time we'll get him, right? But no, not next time. No. And then when they want to arm wrestle, it's even funnier, right? You want to arm wrestle. Like both of you at the same time, both arms, let's, let's do this. Right? And I can do that as a dad right now. I can, be, right, I can say those things, but yeah, give it 10 years and, and, and the tables will turn and I won't be able to, to be like that. But what God is saying to Job is, Job, do you really want to arm wrestle me? Do you want to compare your strength to mine, your power to mine? And then in the next verse, God turns up the heat a little bit. He says, Job, adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. So let's try this, Job. Put on all your glory. I'll put on my glory, and then we'll compare. Oh, wait a second. You can't because if I put on all my glory and I reveal that to you, you'll be dead. Right? Put on your splendor. Put on your majesty. Oh, you you don't have any. Which one of us has more glory? Verse 11 He says to Job, let's try this. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust. Bind their faces in the world below. I want you to try this, Job. I want you to judge the wicked. I want you to bring them low, bring them to their knees. Matter of fact, put them in the grave. Can you do that? Now, on one hand, I could see Job saying, yeah, I can do that. I can, I can judge a wicked man. I can tell when somebody's wicked and I can judge them and condemn them and I can even put them in the, in the ground. And God says, no, that's not what I said, Job. Look on everyone who is proud and bring them to nothing. With a glance, bring all of the wicked to nothing. Can you do that? to which there is no answer. So far in my study of the book of Job, verse 14 of this chapter is one of my favorites because his, his next statement to Job reveals a lot. This is what God says next. He says, then, meaning if you can do all this stuff, then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. If you can do all this stuff, Job, set the foundations of the earth, display your sovereignty over the universe, over creation, over the weather, over the ecosystems, if you can display your sovereign judgment over all of the wicked and over the darkness of death, if you can do these things, if you can take the the earth by its corner and shake the wicked free, then Job, you can save yourself. You don't need me. 
What's beautiful about not only that verse, but the ones we just walked through is how these verses point us to the beautiful picture of the gospel itself. See, not only was God able to answer all these questions himself and say, I can do these things and you can't, but God has done these things. And when we look at the life of Jesus himself, Jesus came to the earth to display that he was the son of God which means if he's the son of of God, then he can do these things. And every one of these questions that God asked of Job, to which Job had no response, Jesus raises his hand and says, yes, I can. I was there when you laid the foundations of the earth. I do display sovereignty over the wicked and over the grave. I live my life perfectly righteous among you. Yes, I am righteous. In Jesus, we see where God takes the corner of the earth and shakes it, and he takes the wickedness of man for all time and puts it on his son Jesus in one moment and one event at the cross. So rather than God condemning all the proud and all the sinful and all the wicked people of the earth and just putting them in the grave, he put his son in the grave instead. The Gospel of John introduces us to Jesus this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was. God says, hey, Job, were you there when I took nothing and turned it into something? And Job says, no, I wasn't there. Jesus says, yes, I was. I was there. Verse 4, in Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Job, were you there whenever I took creation? I breathed life and made things come alive. And Job's like, no, I wasn't there. Jesus says, yes, I was. Matter of fact, in me was the life and the light of men. Now, the end of the book of John is so helpful. Um, In chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John tells us about why he wrote his gospel down. He says in verse 30, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written about in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We see this beautiful connection between Job and and Jesus himself in the gospel. As God is asking these questions of Job, and Job is one question after another realizing his smallness and his inability to save himself, right? The more two things are happening, the more, one, we see our desperation and our need for a Savior to come, and two, when he comes, we're seeing Jesus step into our world and answer all these questions, yes, I can I want to land here today um, with you. There's a couple of things I want us to think about. Um, first thing I want to ask you is this, is um, have you come to the place in your life journey where you, like Job, have bowed in submission to God and said, I trust in you to save me and I can't save myself? Have you come to that place? That place where you say, you know what, God, what Jesus did for me on the cross, I believe in that, I trust in that. 
I want Jesus to be my savior. I want to be forgiven of my sins and I want eternal life. Have you come to that place where you have made that decision? Not your spouse, not your parents, not your grandparents, but you have said, you know, where do I stand on this question? Do I believe that Jesus is the son of the living God? If you haven't made that decision, I'm gonna pray that you'll make it today. I really am. I'm gonna pray that you will not leave here today without making that decision to trust in Christ. In just a minute, we'll have prayer partners in our room while we're singing. They'll be at the front and the back. And I encourage you, step out of your seat and grab one of our prayer partners and let them pray with you and, and talk with you about becoming a Christian today. Now, for those of you who are in the room who heard me talking about the non-Christians and you went ahead and checked the box and went, oh, okay, this isn't about me today. We're gonna stand and sing some songs then I'm gonna go home. Like, can we just stop for a minute? Let me just ask you a really important question. Which God do you worship? Do you worship the little God of our culture who is tame, predictable, manageable, fits in our pocket? Or do you worship the God of Job? The one who laid the foundations of the earth. The one who said to the oceans, I think you should stop right here. The one who put the earth into orbit, spun it at just the right speed, at just the right distance from the sun, leaning at just the right angle so that life might happen. Like, come on. Like, that's the God of Job. And so I encourage the rest of us as we stand to sing in just a minute to ask ourselves, who is it that I claim to worship? Is it the God, not just of Job, but the, Job, the God of the Bible? Or is it the, the user-friendly version of God? Listen, our prayer and our hope for this sermon series is that God would capture our affections and capture our mind's attention. That however big God was to us coming into this sermon series, he'll be bigger as we, as we, as we end it. Right? That God would unveil a little bit more of himself to us individually and to us as a church that however passionate our worship was before, it would be more passionate. However committed we were to Christ before, we would be more committed. So I wanna leave you with that today. I'm gonna pray for us and then our worship team will come back up and our our prayer partners. Let's pray together. Um, Father, we're so thankful that um, through the story in the book of Job, God, we get a more accurate and a more majestic picture of who you are. And so God, we want to begin with confession for many of us, if not most of us, God. um, We spend a lot of effort trying to reduce you, to compartmentalize you, to place you into a box that is predictable and safe. And this morning we confess that you're anything but those things. You're the God of heaven and the God of earth, the creator and sustainer of all things. You hold the universe, this ever-expanding, huge universe. You hold it in the palm of your hand. And at the same time, God, you reach out to us, your creation. Thank you for being all-powerful. Father, would you capture our hearts and our minds? God, for the person here today who does not know you, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. This person would take that step of faith to trust in a God who is powerful enough to save, powerful enough to overcome sin and death. God, we
we confess, we proclaim your majesty this morning. In Jesus' name.